tonight we'll study together Matthew chapter 14 and it's interesting that this chapter speaks about the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist and actually we are celebrating tonight the feast of St. John the Baptist because tomorrow as you will hear is the Synaxerium is one of the feasts of St. John the Baptist so it's interesting that our Bible study coincide with the church celebration. Uh, the chapter, chapter 14 addresses three points. First point, the unlawful marriage between Herod and Herodia. And also addresses two miracles that demonstrate the power of our Lord Jesus Christ over nature and also the inverse relationship between fear and faith as we will study it together in the story of St. Peter when he was drowning in the sea. Actually we can classify this chapter into four sections. The first section when uh, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ and he thought that Jesus actually is John the Baptist and we read about this story from verse 1 to verse 12 then from second section from verse 12 to 21 uh, how the Lord Jesus Christ uh, departed from there after he heard about what Herod did to John the Baptist and multitudes as usual followed him and he fed 5,000 men other than women and children from five loaves and two fish. The third section in the chapter is when the Lord Jesus Christ sent his disciples away by boat and he went to pray in the mountain and they actually faced a very very big storm but we uh, we will see how the Lord Jesus Christ came in the fourth watch of the night walking in the sea he calmed the storm and he uh, comforted the disciples and the last part verse 34 to 36 about how he went to the land of the Nisaret and there he healed all those who came to him uh, by simply letting them touch even the hem of his garment. So let's start from verse 1. Let's read together. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And therefore, these powers are at work in him. So, who is this Herod? The Gospel of Matthew mentions two Herod. Herod, actually, who wanted to kill the children of Bethlehem. And he did kill them. Because he wanted to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. This Herod is Herod the Great. But he died while the, the Lord Jesus Christ was in Egypt. 
And if you remember, the angel appeared to Joseph and told him, you can go back now to Jerusalem because Herod, who wanted to kill uh, the child, died. So this is Herod the Great. And he died probably in the first year after the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And after he died, his kingdom was divided among his three sons. And one of these three sons is Herod Antipas. And Herod, about whom we read in chapter 14, is Herod Antipas, who is the son of Herod the Great. So it says the same Herod. Herod Antipas, who is the son of Herod the Great. Tetrarch means he is the ark of a fourth section. So actually, the kingdom should have been divided into four sections, and each section was given to a ruler. But actually, after the death of, uh, of Herod the Great, the kingdom was divided into three sections, or four sections actually, but one of his sons took two sections instead of one section. So, tetrarch means the head of a quarter, head of a quarter. But, uh, as we, we know uh, from the history of the Jews, that Herod Antipas was ruler of Galilee in the north and Perea on the east side of the Jordan River. And this was a favor done by the Romans to Herod the Great because he was supporter of the Romans. So they gave his son Herod Antipas two sections, uh, Galilee and Perea. Uh, so the kingdom, instead of being divided into four quarters, now it's divided into three, but still the title of Tetrarch was kept. That's the meaning of Tetrarch. Here is the Tetrarch. Also, when St. Matthew referred to this Herod as a king, as we read in verse 9, he was not king like Herod the Great, but in the sense that he was a ruler over this area. He was a ruler over this area. And this is the same Herod that when the Lord Jesus Christ was tried, Pontius Pilate, when he heard that Jesus is from Galilee, he sent Jesus to be actually tried by Herod, the king or the tetrarch, the ruler of Galilee. Herod actually he married the daughter of the king of Arabia. But after he divorced her, there was a war between the king of Arabia and Herod Antipas. That's why Herod was ab absent from Galilee for a long time, because of the war between him and Aretas, the king of Arabia. That's why he did not hear about Jesus Christ maybe until he returned home after this war. Herod was 
was actually fearful and fascinated by John the Baptist. As we read in other Gospels, he respected John the Baptist. He knew that he was a holy man, and he loved to hear him. But as we will know in the story, he killed him uh, based on the request of Salome. But he still, after even he killed him, he was afraid of him. That's why when he heard about the miracles that were done by the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, this is John the Baptist. He rose rose from uh, the dead. Actually, when he killed John the Baptist, Herod was afraid that a rebellion will arise among the people. But it did not happen. But even although rebellion did not happen among the people, but he, he still actually was afraid of him. His conscience actually rebuked him to kill such a holy man and a great prophet like John the Baptist. John the Baptist, as we read in John chapter 10, verse 41, he did not do any miracle. He did not do any miracle. But his teaching was so powerful, and the people felt that he was full of the Holy Spirit. That's why they respected him. Even they believed that he could rise from the dead after his death. Herod said about Jesus, this is John the Baptist, he rose from the dead. Uh, And he said, this is John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Although John the Baptist did not do any miracle, but Herod believed that John could rise and perform miracles. Could rise from the dead and also he can perform miracles. Verse 3. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. What is the story of Herodia? Actually, Herodia left her husband, Philip, and lived publicly with Herod Antipas, her brother-in-law. And Herod Antipas, as I told you, he had been before married to the daughter of Aretas, the king of Arabia, and her name was Petria. And as I told you once, the king of Arabia, Aretas, understood that Herod had determined to divorce his daughter, he prepared to make a war, and actually the king of Arabia defeated Herod Antipas. And many people said, God actually cursed, and this was the judgment of Herod Antipas because of John the Baptist, as Josephus Uh, the Jewish historian said uh, this was a judgment of God on Herod Antipas for the martyrdom or killing uh, John the Baptist. Uh, 
So the marriage between uh, Herod Antipas and Herodia was unlawful for many reasons. Because Herodia lifted her husband Philip, and also, and he was still alive, and also uh, uh, Herod left her wife uh, uh, Petraea, the daughter of the king of Arabia. So actually it was sinful to live together. And the Jewish uh, law did not permit such marriage. And Herod actually feared to offend the people, but he did not fear to offend the God. By marrying his brother's wife, he offended God. But actually by making an oath, as I, I, I will tell you, and not trying or not willing to break this oath, he feared to offend people, but he did not fear to offend God. And many times actually, we fear to offend the people, but we don't fear to offend God. So this can also apply to us. Verse 4, because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her, and explained to her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. So, if it is up to him, he would have killed him. He would have shed this innocent blood. But he did not kill him because of the fear of the people. Verse 5, verse uh, 6. But when his birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. The fear of God corrects us. When we fear God, the fear of God will prevent us from doing something wrong. But fear of men restrains us and actually the desire of evil will continue to remain in heart. That's the difference between fearing God and fearing men. It was the custom of the Romans and emperors to uh, hold big celebration for their birthdays. That's why uh, Herod actually made a celebration, big feast, big banquet on his birthday. And in this actually uh, birthdays, people drink, dance, they get drunk. But it was not the custom of uh, the high rank ladies to dance. So it was not actually expected, according to the tradition, that Salome, the daughter of Herodias, to dance. But also it was the custom if one of these high-ranked lady to dance, this means she has a wish or she would ask something from the king. That's why after Salome danced, Herod knew that she had a request to make. 
because it was not the custom for her to dance because she was the daughter of uh, Herodias, his wife. That's why he asked her and he promised her with an oath. As we read in verse uh, 7, therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask because she pleased him in dancing. Verse 8, so she, having been prompted by her mother, said, give me John the Baptist head here on a platter. So she went to consult with her mother before she made her request. And the answer was, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Why? She wanted to calm her conscience. John the Baptist, he was reminding them with the unlawfulness of this marriage. So she thought, if they get rid of John the Baptist, then this rebuke will stop in their hearts. But they killed John the Baptist, but their conscience was not killed. That's why when Herod heard about Jesus Christ, he said, this is John the Baptist rose from the dead. Saint uh, John the Baptist, by his faithfulness, had offended the whole family, had offended Herod, Herodias, and Salome. And here was big opportunity for this adulterous mother, Herodias, and her child, her child Salome to gratify their resentment. Uh, Herod actually, when he heard this, verse 9, and king, the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. Uh, so, King Herod here feels no remorse for his sinful conduct, uh, conduct to his brother by marrying his brother's wife. Uh, and now he decided to add to his adultery another sin which is murder by killing um, John the Baptist. And he felt no remorse to do this. But actually, it's amazing how people have different standards. He did not want to offend the attendant by not fulfilling his, his oath. That's why he fulfilled his oath, although he felt sorry. Of course, Herod did wrong in taking such uh, uh, an oath. Uh, uh, but actually it was in his ability as a king not to fulfill this oath. King David, if you remember, he also made an oath to kill Nabal, the husband of Abigail. But after Abigail talked to him, he relented and he did not fulfill his oath because he knew that this oath was wrong. But King Herod did, 
couldn't do this and he fulfilled this oath again he feared to offend the people who attended his birthday celebration but he did not fear to offend God verse 11 so his head the head of John the Baptist was brought on a platter and given to the girl Salome and she brought it to her mother then his disciples the disciples of John the Baptist came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus a sign of gratefulness to their master a sign of appreciation a sign of honor the disciples of John the Baptist they, uh, took his body and buried his body in respect and gratitude to him then actually they came to Jesus why they came to Jesus to tell him so John the Baptist told them that Jesus is the Messiah and you need to pay respect to Jesus and to honor him as the Messiah you need to adhere to him and to follow him that's why they wanted and reported to the Lord Jesus Christ that uh, John the Baptist was martyred and here actually we can compare between uh, Elijah and John the Baptist as you know uh, Archangel Gabriel said to Zechariah that John the Baptist will come in the spirit of Elijah Elijah had Isabel the queen who sought his life and actually John the Baptist the second Elijah had Herodias the second Isabel actually not, uh, to, to obtain his life and to kill him usually in this celebration where is, there is no fear of God in, in celebration where there is dancing and drinking and all this uh, ungodly activity we expect actually uh, many sins to be done many sins to be done because this atmosphere is a good atmosphere for sin to flourish because all this ungodly behavior they are these behaviors are sinful in themselves verse 13 when Jesus heard it he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself but when the multitudes heard it they followed him on foot from the cities when Jesus departed Herod heard sorry Jesus knew that Herod heard about Jesus so the Lord Jesus Christ said as Herod actually killed John the Baptist he might actually seek me to kill me right now but Jesus actually was not afraid of death actually he came to die he came to redeem us but his hour had not come yet that's why he departed from there departed to a deserted place when he departed to a deserted place I'm sure after hearing the news about the martyrdom of John the Baptist he wanted to be by himself he wanted to be alone he wanted just to have quiet time between him and the father in a deserted place Saint Jerome uh, 
in order to emphasize that Jesus Christ did not uh, depart out of fear, but because his hour had not come, he said, Jesus did not retire through fear, as some may think. Hence the evangelist does not say he fled, but he departed to show us that he did not fear his enemies. So he went to a mountain, but the multitudes heard that Jesus left. So they followed him. They followed him to listen to his teaching and also to bring all their uh, sick people to him to heal uh, them as usual. So they went actually and they did not give him enough time to be with himself. So the multitude, when the multitude heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So actually, the Lord here uh, left his solitary time with the Father and he went out to them to comfort them, to heal their uh, sicknesses, and also to preach to them the word of God. So, he retired to the mountain for a short time, but being filled with compassion, he returned to the multitude. So, here the word he filled with compassion, this compassion was partly on account of their bodily infirmities, but other part on their bad situation because they did not have spiritual leaders or spiritual uh, pastors, ungodly pastors. The leaders of Israel were ungodly pastors. Verse 15, when it was evening, and I want you, if you have your Bible, to go in the same chapter, in the same chapter, verse uh, 23, we read, Now when evening came. So on the same day, actually, he is referring to two evening. In verse 15, we read, When it was evening. But in the same day, in the verse 23, we read, Now when evening came. So, how come there are two evenings? Actually, in the Jewish custom, they celebrate two evenings. The first evening began with the sun was declining. It's around three afternoon. And this was the evening was mentioned in verse 15. But when the sun is completely set, with the sun set, actually, this is the second evening. This is the, the beginning of the night time or the uh, darkness. This evening that, uh, was mentioned in verse 23. So, verse 15 refers it around 3 p.m. when the sun starts to decline. But the other evening in verse 23 
refer, uh, refers to the sunset, which will be around uh, 6 p.m. So when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. It is 3 p.m. So if they stayed for two or three hours more, he can, uh, and he sends the multitude, it would be dark. And at the time there was no electricity. So he told them, if you want to, to let them go or to dismiss them, you need to dismiss them right now, it's 3 p.m. So they we have some time to go by food, lodge, etc. So they told him the hour is already late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Because we are in desert here, we are in a deserted place. So they will take some time until they reach any village to find something to eat before complete darkness. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Uh, actually, this was like a test for the disciples when he told them, uh, give them something to eat. Uh, and here actually we see how the multitude spent all the day with the Lord Jesus Christ to the extent they forget and or I can use the word neglect their own physical needs like eating and drinking. I'm sure because they paid attention to the preaching of Christ and also they were happy that the Lord is healing uh, you know, their infirmities. That's why with all of this they forgot about their physical needs. They forgot actually to bring food with them. They forgot to tell him we need to leave in order to buy some food. And actually, when the, the soul is, is filled with the bread of life, actually the necessities of the, body, uh, of the body will be little regarded. When the person actually, like when you come to church, like on Good Friday, and you enjoy all the praising and the prayers on this very long day, actually nobody feels he is hungry or he needs uh, to eat or drink because we are totally filled with the Spirit in a, 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 a holy day like Good Friday. Uh, as it is written, uh, as it is said by one of the fathers, the presence of Christ and his gospel makes a desert not only tolerable but desirable. Uh, so they need to go to villages or towns around them. So the Lord actually uh, said to the disciples, give them something to eat. And he told them they do not need to depart. Give them something to eat. Why? Why he told them they do not need to depart? As, as if he is telling them, I am with you. I am sitting with you. I have power to provide food and meal for all these people. I have power actually to heal their diseases. I have power actually to comfort their heart. So actually, if I am with you, they do not need to go away. And then he tested them by saying to them, you give them something.
to eat. Verse 17, they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. As we know from the Gospel of St. John, it is Andrew who told him, we have only five loaves and two fish. These loaves were made like uh, from barley. It's barley meal. Uh, actually, were cut into small uh, pieces, uh, and uh, they were actually baked on the oven. Uh, when the Lord told them, bring them here to me, and they brought these five loaves and two fish, he blessed them. And actually he was able to feed 5,000 men other than women and children. And if each man has his wife and two children, although at that time they had 10, 15 children, only two, we can actually say at least, while speaking, about 20 to 25,000 persons attending. So from five loaves and two fish, who was able to feed about 20,000. How come? Because when actually we bring our, what we have to Christ, Christ will bless it. And we'll have abundance when we bring what we have to Christ. Not only in our physical supplies and physical needs, but even our spiritual needs, when we bring the little talents that we have to Christ, Christ can bless them so we can serve him faithfully through his blessing. So all of us as servants, as clergy, we need to bring to him the talents that we have. And we tell him, these talents without your blessing actually will do nothing. That's why we are bringing our talents before you in order to bless them so that through these talents, through your grace and blessing, actually all the people can be served rightly. And also it impresses me how quickly they were able to serve 20,000 persons. Actually sometimes when we have church uh, full like 500 or, or 700 persons during communion time we don't know how actually to give them communion in orderly way but here actually 20,000 persons attending together they were able to be fed and actually to collect the fragments and they collected 12 baskets what is the key here beside the grace of God actually the order he, he made them to sit down in groups of 50. So when things are organized, when things are done orderly, actually this will save a lot of time and everybody will be happy and satisfied. Verse 19, then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on grass, big number, and he took the five loaves and the two fish looking up to heaven to give thanks he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes so they all ate and were filled 
and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. I told you this happened at the first evening, which actually 3 p.m. That's why in the Agbay prayer, in the ninth hour, which actually corresponds to 3 p.m., we, we read this gospel, the gospel of feeding the multitude here. And let us learn from the Lord before anything we do to raise our heart, lift our hearts to heaven, to give thanks and to ask God to bless. To, before we study, before we drive, before we work, before we eat, before we do anything actually, let us give thanks to God and ask Him to bless uh, our activity. And actually this miracle proves the divinity of Christ. He created, he created uh, a new material because how five loaves and two fish can feed multitudes? Actually, if you put the five loaves and two fish in a basket, they will be at the bottom of the basket. But we read here the fragments, the leftover filled 12 baskets. So God created here a new material. And actually, this is not the only miracle in the scripture about uh, feeding a multitude. In the Old Testament, there are three feeding miracles. Let me remind you of these three miracles quickly. The first miracle feeding the Israelites in the wilderness of Sinai from the manna, the bread came down from heaven. The second one was the prophet Elijah went to the water of Serpha and actually he made uh, the empty jar of meal um, and the supply of oil to be filled uh, until the end of the famine. The, the flour and the oil did not cease from her house until the end of the famine. And the third miracle in the Old Testament, the prophet Elisha multiplied 20 loaves of barley bread to feed 100 men. So here we can see this is not the first miracle, but there are three other miracles in the Old Testament. So actually, St. Matthew is saying uh, that Jesus Christ uh, also had compassion on the multitudes as we saw in the Old Testament. But also St. Matthew is preparing us for the greater miracle of feeding all of us. Not by loaves and fish, but by his body and his blood. He lived for us actually his body and the blood on the altar eternal, for our eternal life, for salvation and remission of sins. That's why in the Gospel of St. John, we know that the next day of this miracle, actually, he talked to the multitude about the Eucharist, about giving his body and his blood to all of us to feed on them and to nurture on them and to have eternal life by eating his blood and uh, eating his body and drinking his blood. You can read this in John chapter uh, 6. the five loaves or the five thousand, number five is a number of grace. As you know, numbers has symbols. Seven is a perfect number. Five actually is a number of grace. 
and any multiple of the number signifies the abundance of uh, the grace. And here actually you can see how God blessed the five loaves and from these five loaves he was able to feed the multitude. Uh, five loaves and two fish, if you add five to two, this number seven. And number seven actually is a number of uh, perfection, fullness and completion. And he referred to spiritual perfection. Verse 21, Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Verse 22, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, and he go before him, and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. The word meet means like he commanded them, he ordered them. Bil-Arabi, uh, so he ordered them, he commanded them. I'm sure the disciples were reluctant to go without their master. Maybe because of their love for uh, their master and they are unwilling to separate from him even for a moment. Or maybe out of fear, they don't want to stay away from him. Um, but the Lord Jesus Christ again want the time to be alone, uh, to spend some time in prayer with the Father. So he ordered them to go before him to the other side until he dismisses the multitude and go by himself to uh, a desert place for a retreat uh, in order to spend some time with the Father. Verse 23, And when he had sent the multitude away, uh, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. So, this feeding the multitude took from about 3 p.m. to around 6 p.m. In three hours. And we can imagine how the Lord Jesus Christ and the disciples were able to feed 20,000 persons and to dismiss all of them in, in almost three hours. And again, we can see here how they were very organized in order to accomplish all of this in three hours. Uh, so, when he sent the multitude away, he went up uh, on the mountain by himself to pray. Now in the evening, 6 p.m., he was alone. And there is a lesson here to us. Even in the midst of our service and our ministry, we need to have time by ourselves between us and God. We should not allow the service to overwhelm us. Or just to be busy either by service or by our business or by our families or by our work or by our social life. We need actually to retreat to ourselves and have time by ourselves between us and God. The Lord Jesus Christ actually was doing this and he set an example for all of us. We need actually to have our time between us and God, to be alone. Verse 24, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, Sea of Galilee, tossed by the waves, 
and the wind was contrary. So the disciple took the boat, and actually it was they were about three and a half miles from the shore in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And the wind came rushing down from the mountains and they were attempting to land at the other side as the Lord directed them, but they couldn't because of this fierce storm. Uh, verse 25 Now in the fourth watch of the night Jesus went to them walking on the sea. According to the Jewish tradition, they used actually to divide the night into three parts of four hours each. So three watches. Uh, usually they called watches. As we read in Lamentation and the book of Judges and Exodus, there are many references about these watches in the Old Testament. But when the Romans came and occupied Judea, they divided the night into four watches. And each watch actually is three hours. So the fourth watch has been introduced by Romans. And the night, when I speak about the 12 uh, hours, it's from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So the first watch will be from 6 to 9, second watch from 9 to 12, third watch from 12 to 3 a.m., and fourth watch from 3 in the morning until 6 in the morning. So actually the disciples were in the sea with this storm from around 6 p.m. until 3 in the morning. And you can imagine their condition in the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea, in the darkness, with this storm, they fighting this storm for almost nine hours. And the Lord actually waited. Why waited? They were afraid. Why he did not go to them in the first watch? God actually wants us, uh, want to teach us how to be strong. How to be strong in the uh, face of hardship and tribulation. How during this time we should not lose heart or hope, even if he comes on the first, uh, on the fourth watch. We need to learn how to be patient, how to wait for the Lord. We should not lose hope. How the disciples will learn to pray fervently. How the disciples will learn to have hope, and this hope will continue. How to learn endurance, how to learn patience if the Lord came to them instantly. But he waited. Many times the Lord waits and he does not respond immediately. David said, I waited to the Lord from the first hour of the morning until the night watch. Wait for the Lord. We read in Isaiah, those who wait for the Lord, they renew power like eagles. They will be powerful. That's why the Lord actually was waiting in order to teach the disciples courage, patience, endurance, how to fight uh, against hardships and against tribulations. So, if you are facing tribulation, 
And the Lord did not respond immediately. Don't lose heart. The Lord is watching over you. He will come even in the fourth watch of the night. Don't lose heart, but be patient. And the Lord actually will come and deliver you. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. But when, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out of fear. So here actually I want you to imagine the scene. Uh, it was very actually uh, disturbing to them. In the dark night, uh, among all these clouds, they saw this man walking on the sea. And they never expect a man to walk above the water. And also in the middle of this storm and the clouds, so they thought he is a ghost. Uh, appearance, uh, uh, some spirit appeared to them uh, from those spirit of uh, about a dead person appeared to them. But here actually, verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Actually, in the original text, it is not it is I. In the original text, it, it is I am. I am. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I am. Do not be afraid. Why well, I'm emphasizing about I am. Do you know when Moses asked God, What's your name? He told him, I am. Who is I am? I am is Jehovah. Jehovah means I am. So actually, when the Lord said I am, he is referring to himself as God. Nobody can say I am except God. And the Lord actually said this word I am in several times. In, in Jerusalem, as you read it in John chapter 8, uh, and actually, in, uh, when they arrested the Lord Jesus Christ, and they asked about Jesus, he told them, it is I am. That's why they uh, went backward and, and, and fell. Because when they heard I am, that is the word of God, that's the name of Jehovah, as we read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. But here actually the Lord is telling them, it is me, God, I am the Almighty, don't be afraid, be of good cheer. And this voice, be of good cheer, comfort the troubled soul. When actually we are troubled, God comes to us and comforts us and tells us, be of good cheer, do not be afraid, it is I am, I am, do not be afraid. So, as if he is telling to them, I am the Almighty, I am the one who rules the wind and heaven, because I am one who created them, they will obey me, don't actually be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, if it is you God, command me to come to you on the water. 
Usually, Peter, yeah, I'm going to use a word about him, but he used to be impulsive, very quick uh, to, 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 maybe out of zeal, out of eagerness. That's why he jumped and he told him, if it is you, just order me to come walking um, on, the, on the water. And actually, uh, Peter says something, but when it comes to action, he does something else. He said to the Lord, even if everybody denied you, I will not deny you. And he was the first one to deny him. But all of this before he received power from on high on the day of Pentecost. And many times we make promises and we make vows and we cannot fulfill these promises and vows. We need actually to, we need ought not to think about ourselves higher than what we should think about or ought to think about ourselves. So the Lord actually ordered him, as we read in verse 29, so he said, come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. The Lord actually when he told him come, he did not just give him an order, but he gave him the power to fulfill this order. When he told him come, he gave him the power actually to go against the physics, the, the, the law of physics, the law of gravity, to walk above the water. And this comforts us that any commandment, when the Lord gives us any commandment, it's not just an order. With any commandment, there is a power. Help us to fulfill this commandment. Why we cannot fulfill the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ? It is the same reason why Peter started to drown. Because he doubted. He doubted the ability of God. He doubted that he can walk on the water. The same way I doubt that I can keep myself pure through the grace of God. That's why I fall in sin. It's the same uh, scenario here. That's why when God gives us a commandment, we should trust that also with this commandment we receive the power to fulfill this commandment. That's why when the faith of Peter failed, actually he started to think. The law of nature started to take over. His faith actually suspended the law of nature and he was able to walk on the water. But his, when his faith started to fail, the law of nature actually took over and he began to sink. So it was not the violence of the wind. It is not the raging of the waves that endangered his life, but it is lack of his faith. Again, it is not the strong temptation. 
It's not the strong attacks by Satan that make us commit sin, but it is lack of our faith. Exactly like the Peter. Peter was successful when his eyes were fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But when he took his eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ and he put his eye and focus on the stormy sea, he started actually to be frightened and think. In the same way, when we take our eyes off God and we stop praying, we start actually to fall in sin. So, St. Peter's act did not exemplify his faith, but actually his lack of faith, his doubt. started to, die, to, to sink and to drown actually he had two options he was a fisherman so I'm sure he knows how to swim very well so he had two options one option to try to swim to use his experience to swim in order to go back to the boat the other option is to cry to God and to tell him Lord save me Peter actually did not trust his experience but he chose to cry St. John to cry to God and told him Lord save me St. John Chrysostom and St. Augustine said that Peter's crying out to Jesus is an act of repentance because instead of trying to swim to save his life he cried to God and told him, Lord, save me. This is actually the shortest prayer in the Bible. Three words, Lord, save me. But it is a very powerful prayer. When the temptation of sin starts to take over, and I, I feel that I am falling in sin, and instead of trying harder, instead of trusting my will, let us actually cry to God, with Peter and tell him, Lord, save me, and he will save me. You cannot repent without prayer. You cannot overcome temptation of sin without prayer. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sing, he cried out saying, Lord, save me, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Try, when the temptation actually starts to attack you, cry and say, Lord save me, and you feel that the Lord stretched out his hand and delivered you from this uh, temptation. The Lord did not rebuke Peter harshly, but just he said a small word like, teaching him a lesson in faith and that's it why did you doubt verse 32 and when they got into the boat the wind ceased then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him saying truly you are the son of God worshipped him as I told you he told them it is I am God the Messiah 
So here when they told him, you are son of God, it's not just all of us children of God, but no, you are the son of God, the Messiah, God who became man. That's why they worshipped him as God. Actually, as we read in, 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 uh, in, in this miracle, we can see actually five miracles in this miracle, not only miracle, one miracle. First miracle, Jesus walking on the water. Second miracle, he is enabling Peter to do the same. Third miracle, actually he delivered Peter from drowning when Peter started to sing. Fourth miracle, actually calming down the storm. Fifth miracle, the ship is immediately in port. They were in the middle of the sea, but we read the ship was immediately at the shore. So here in this miracle, actually, there are five miracles happened in the same time. And as I told you, Jesus, when he said, I am, he was referring to himself as God. So when they, they told him, you are son of God, this not just in a sense that applies to all of us, but son of God means the hypostasis of the son who became man. Uh, verse 34, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Kenisaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, they knew that he was Jesus, they sent out in all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Ganesarat actually is a small district. It's four miles long and about two and three miles wide on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. The people there heard about his miracles, heard about Jesus. So when actually they realized that Jesus came to their land, they actually went to call all the deceased people they can find uh, and actually to take advantage of this opportunity to come to the Jesus to be healed even by touching only the hem of his garment. Actually, let's learn from these people. They called all the surrounding cities. When we come to the church, let us call our neighbors, our friends, and ask them to come with us to the church, to come with us to Jesus, as the people actually uh, asked others and all the surrounding cities to come to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And here actually, wherever Jesus went, actually he was doing good. He was healing the multitude. He was teaching and preaching. Um, and as we read, as many as touched him were made perfectly well. So here, the St. Matthew presents to us the Lord Jesus Christ, the healer of our spiritual and bodily infirmities. Let us ask the Lord to touch us with his mighty hand, to heal us from all our 
spiritual infirmities to make, to make us children, true children of Him, walking in His fear and walking in His holiness. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.